The following audio is from Community Bible Church in Nashville, Tennessee. For more information about our church, please visit us online at cbcnashville.org. Our scripture reading today is from Romans 8, verses 28 through 39. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Father, we come before you this morning and just, first off, just praising you that you are the God who fights for us, that you are the God who we are safe in, that we know nothing can separate us from your love when we are hidden in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Father, it's just in this tone this morning that we come before your word, just praising you for Uh, the examples you've given us of your people who have gone before us. Father, I pray that you would humble us, that you would soften, prepare our hearts to learn from the examples of the people that have gone before us, to see how you have proven yourself faithful through the ages, even in the face of rebellious Amen. Father, I I just pray that you would help us to trust you more and more. So as we come before your word this morning, help us to understand it. Help us to believe that what you say is true. Help us to obey you and all that you command us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. If you can, you can open your Bibles, if you've brought your Bibles this morning, to the book of Deuteronomy, 
We'll be getting in the, into uh, the first few chapters of Deuteronomy in just a minute. But I want to give a little bit of an introduction while you're finding your way there. Why first we would spend time in the Old Testament. Uh, there's, yeah, as I've kind of, as we've looked at over the last handful of weeks with the mini-series on law and gospel, I've kind of wrestled with that some with us. And I've been reminding us that we want to come before the, the whole counsel of God, the whole counsel of Scripture. We want to hear what His Word has to tell us. And we have in the Old Testament uh, just such a, a rich treasure trove of, uh, of God's faithfulness to us. A.W. Tozer has the, the famous quote where he says, Nothing less than a whole Bible can make a whole Christian. Nothing less than a whole Bible can make a whole Christian. We want to dive into the whole counsel of God and to understand that our God is the, the same yesterday and today and forever. His faithfulness is, is new every morning and that's just on every page of scripture that we see that. Well, the New Testament though testifies to us uh, of God's um, faithful care over us and the importance of actually opening his word in the Old Testament as you think through kind of the famous scene after Christ's resurrection in Luke chapter 24 as Christ appears to a couple of the disciples on the road to Emmaus, and they are kind of distraught that the one that they thought was the Messiah had been crucified, and they're walking on the road, and Jesus appears to them, and they don't recognize that it's him, and he asks them, you know, why, why are you so down in the dumps? And they're going through kind of what has happened over this, the past uh, few days in Jerusalem, and he says, why are you so, so slow to believe all that the scriptures say concerning the Son of Man? He points back to what the scriptures say about him. And, and it sums up that passage saying, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And then later on in the same chapter, Luke 24 Verse 44, he's now present with all the disciples. And it says, then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. So notice that, that he opens their mind to scriptures to understand all of what Moses and the prophets and the Psalms had said about him. And he says, this is what it said, that the son of man must die for the forgiveness of sins. In the, the famous memory verse, Second Timothy, Second uh, Timothy three sixteen. If we look at the, the first verses leading into that, I think it's important for us to to see these as Paul is speaking about Timothy and just how Timothy was brought up. In Second Timothy three, Paul writes this 
to, to uh, young Pastor Timothy. He says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So he points Timothy, he says, this faith that you are grounded in was originally grounded in, he wouldn't have called it this, but what we call the Old Testament scriptures. In fact, as you walk through Acts and you see Paul preaching, he opens scriptures. He points to the Old Testament, which is what they had at the time, to point to Christ. So when we study the uh, Old Testament, we can do so with confidence, knowing that it is the one story that God has given us, how he is redeeming mankind through his son, Jesus Christ. He is reconciling all things to himself through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So now we come specifically to Deuteronomy. And I just kind of want to give a little bit of an introduction to Deuteronomy before we dive in. But first, as I, I hope some of you have looked at Deuteronomy as I kind of put out in Realm this last week, a little post, just kind of explaining the series a little bit that we're going to be covering some larger chunks at times. Like next week and the week following, we're only one chapter at a time. But this week we're covering chapters one through three. And I can't, uh, for the sake of time, stand up here and read all, all three chapters. So I, I asked you to read the chapters in advance this week and to think through them, to pray through them, to, to meditate on, on the passages. So I'm just going to be reading a, a short section. But if you've read it, it's important for us to understand that Deuteronomy isn't just a, a mere repetition of history. It's not just hey, this is a good thing for us to repeat to make sure it's not lost. This is the history. This is, Deuteronomy is actually a series of sermons by Moses. Moses is, is preaching to the people of Israel and he has been with the people of Israel for some 40 years, wandering through the, the wilderness with them. And he's now at this place in Deuteronomy, brought them up to the edge or the, the, the brink of the promised land. And Moses has been told by God that he is not allowed to enter the promised land because of his rebellion uh, where he struck the rock twice. He doubted God. He, he did not believe God. And in his anger, he, he responded. And God said, you can't go into the promised land. So Moses knows that he can't go in. With, the, with this people that he has been this shepherd to for the last 40 years. So Deuteronomy is a preacher's kind of last sermons. Like, this is what I need you to know as you go on from here, as I have to leave you and you go on to the land of promise. This is the, the new generation that Moses is preaching to in Deuteronomy. As we'll see in a minute, uh, the, this isn't the first time that Israel has been on the edge of the promised land. They had previously left Mount Sinai or, or Mount Horeb, as Deuteronomy refers to it here, and they had traveled 
to the edge of the promised land. And in their rebellion, as we'll read about, in their rebellion to not go in and obey God and conquer the land before them, God says, this generation won't enter the promised land. You're going to wander around in the wilderness for 40 years until this current generation dies off. And the next generation will be the ones who get to go in to the promised land. So Moses is delivering these sermons to this, this new generation, this second generation out of Egypt. So as he is going through kind of what we might see as just a mere repetition, he is actually trying to land a message with this, uh, this new generation. He wants them to see God's faithfulness to the people. He wants them to see the results of rebellion and disobedience for God's people. We need to hear it in the same way. I want to read one more New Testament passage before we get into, into Deuteronomy itself. But in 1 Corinthians 10, the first six verses, Paul writes, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and, and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank from the, sp- the same spiritual drink. They drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. So very much as Moses is preaching the sermon to the second generation, we can hear it in very much, with very much the same ears, understanding that these things are written down, they're recorded for us as an example, an example for us so that we would turn from evil to turn to God. So as we look at Deuteronomy, we're going to be reading a larger chunk out of Deuteronomy chapter 1. But the first five verses of Deuteronomy set the scene for the sermons. It mentions, first off, that the distance between Horeb or Sinai to the edge of the promised land where they're at is an 11-day journey. So previously, when they had left Sinai and gone to the promised land, they'd covered that land in 11 days. But then as, as they were turned back and kind of in this reverse exodus, having go, going back the direction they came, it has now taken them 40 years, 40 years to get back to this point where they are standing on the brink of the promised land, about to enter into this land that God has promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 40 years in the wilderness. Just an 11-day journey of spending 40 years in that, in that uh, place. Verse 8, though, kind of points us to the, the faithfulness of God. He says in, in verse 8, See, I have set the land before you. Go in and take possession of the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give to them and to their offspring after them. This is that message that 
Moses is trying to land on the ears of this new generation before they go into the promised land to understand God's faithfulness, God's faithfulness to his promise. And it goes beyond just the first generation. It goes all the way back to his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God is faithful to his covenant promises. So now, as we begin to look at Deuteronomy, we're going to read from from verse uh, 19 through the end of chapter 1. This is the account of that first generation coming up to the promised land and their rebellion with God. So read along with me. Deuteronomy 1, beginning with verse 19. Then we set out from Horeb and went through all that great and terrifying wilderness that you saw on the way to the hill country of the Amorites as the Lord our God commanded us. And we came to Kadesh Barnea and I said to you, you have come to the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving us. See, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up, take possession as the Lord, the God of your fathers has told you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Then all of you came near and said, let us send men before us that they may explore the land for us and bring us word again of the way by which we must go up and the cities into which we shall come. The thing seemed good to me and I took 12 men from you, one man from each tribe, and they turned and went up into the hill country and came to the valley of Eskol and spied it out. And they took in their hands some of the fruit of the land and brought it down to us and brought us word again and said, it is a good land that the Lord our God is giving us. Yet you would not go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. And you murmured in your tents and said, because the Lord hated us, he has brought us out of the land of Egypt to give us into the the hand of the Amorites, to destroy us. Where are we going up? Our brothers have made our hearts melt, saying, the people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to to heaven. And besides, we have seen the sons of the Anakim there. Then I said to you, do not be in dread or afraid of them. The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight for you, just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. And in the wilderness where you have seen how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son all the way that you went until you came to this place. Yet in spite of this word, you did not believe the Lord your God who went before you in the way to seek you out a place to pitch your tents and fire by night and the cloud by day to show you by what way you should go. And the Lord heard your words and was angered and he swore Not one of these men of this evil generation shall see the good land that I swore to give your fathers, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. He shall see it, and to him and to his children I will give the land on which he has trodden, because he has wholly followed the Lord. Even with me, the Lord was angry on your account and said, You also shall not go in there. Joshua, the son of Nun, who stands before you, he shall enter. Encourage him for he shall cause Israel to inherit it. And as for your little ones, who you said would become a prey, and your children who today have no knowledge of good or evil, they shall go in there. 
and to them I will give it, and they shall possess it. But as for you, turn and journey into the wilderness in the direction of the Red Sea. Then you answered me, we have sinned against the Lord. We ourselves will go up and fight just as the Lord our God commanded us. And every one of you fastened on his weapons of war and thought it easy to go up into the hill country. And the Lord said to me, say to them, do not go up or fight, for I am not in your midst, lest you be defeated before your enemies. So I spoke to you and you would not listen, but you rebelled against the command of the Lord and presumptuously went up into the hill country. Then the Amorites who lived in that hill country came out against you and chased you as bees do and beat you down in Seir as far as Horma. And you returned and wept before the Lord, but the Lord did not listen to your voice or give ear to you. So you remained at Kadesh many days, the days that you remained there. This first sermon that Moses gives the people is kind of a, a tale of, of two generations. It's a contrast between the first generation of people that, that Moses led out of Egypt, that God brought out of Egypt miraculously. It's a tale of that generation and this second generation. We learn, as we just read, about the first generation in chapter 1. And then chapters 2 through 3, we are given a description of the second generation. The passage that we just read, you might have noticed that, that Moses addresses the second generation as you. He's telling the story of the first generation, but he, he, he tells the story as though it's the second generation who did it. We might wonder, we might think that's a little odd that he would, he would direct a, this account in their direction. But it's important for us, to, for, and I think for them to understand, they were, they're part of God's covenant people. They are included in this. He wants them to understand that the, the first generation's failure to obey God isn't something that the second generation should just look back on and say, well, that was our parents. He wants the you to kind of hit home so that they can understand the importance of obeying God, the importance of seeing his faithfulness. He wants them to understand that the, the choice before them is very much like the choice that was before the first generation. He wants them to learn from that generation's failures, not allow themselves to repeat history. The message is learn from those who have gone before you. Moses wants the new generation to learn from the past. The idea is kind of looking at the history of God's continued grace and faithfulness, both with the first generation and now with the second generation. He doesn't want them to presume a God, upon God's grace or his faithfulness. God does discipline his children. Uh, it re reminds me of a, a catechism that I uh, enjoy going through uh, from time to time from the 1800s. 
And one of the questions is, have you abused God's goodness? Have you abused God's goodness? And the very answer to that question is, yes, I have abused God's goodness. Very much, I think, like children with our parents, as we recognize, as I know I recognize and look back at my childhood and the times of my disobedience and rebellion against them, and the many times that they showed their grace and kindness to me, their firm discipline at times, but that love, that consistent love, like, did I abuse my parents' goodness? I, I did. I abused my parents' goodness. We do not want to do that, though. We want to be a, a people who obey. And this is what Moses wants with the second generation. He doesn't want them like that first generation of their, their parents. He doesn't want them to abuse the goodness of God. So Moses shows this contrast between these two generations by outlining God's commands and each generation's response to God's commands. So this, this first generation, God gives us this, Moses gives this account of the, this, the people at the edge of the promised land and how they responded to God. And you notice throughout chapters one through three, we have kind of similar commands taking place. And it kind of happens mirrored to one another. With the first generation, you have God's command to go up and fight and take the land. And then in the same uh, chapter, we see God's command to do not fight, do not take the land after the rebellion. And yet that first generation did not believe God, not only when, he, when they were commanded to fight and take the land, they said, no, we're too afraid. Have you seen the giants in the land? Have you heard the report about these fortified cities with walls that reach up into the heavens? Sure, we've seen the fruit. We've seen the, the plenty of the land. We're not denying that it's a good land. But we are too afraid of the people. There's no possible way that we could take it. So then God says, okay, well, you're going to wander around until this generation dies. And there's, oh, no, okay, fine. I'm sorry, we're going to go obey. And God says, no, it's too late. Do not go up. Do not fight. Do not take the land. And the people say, no, we should, have, we should have done it in the first place. And God says, I am not with you. It's a huge part of our understanding even throughout Deuteronomy. God says, don't do it. I am not with you. I am the Lord who fights your battles. Do not go up and fight and take the land. And yet in their rebellion, they go up like, oh, now all of a sudden the things that scared them, the giants and the fortified cities, they say, oh no, oh, it's an easy thing to do. We'll go up and take it. And then they get chased out like they're bees. The passage says. But then, as Moses' sermon continues, he, he talks about the second generation in chapter 2 and 3. 
In the first half of chapter two, we have this command of do not fight or take the land. And we'll talk about that in a minute. In the second half, God gives a command, the second half of chapter two and most of chapter three, God gives them the reverse command, fight and take the land. And in both instances, the second generation believe God and they obey him and he is with them and he blesses them. So Moses is setting a choice before the people. Will you have faith in God's promises and obey him? Or will you rebel against him in your unbelief? Will you fear God or man? So briefly, just explaining this, the, the first generation's rebellion, as God told them in chapter one, what we just read, fight and take the land. They're too afraid. And we're not gonna go over every detail of the story, but do you, their response in verses 26 through 28, they actually say, the Lord hates us. This is the murmuring and the complaining that they've had since they had, had left Egypt. They kept saying, hey, I think it's better for us if we go back. Why has God led us out into this wilderness? They were hungry. And instead of calling out to God and asking for God to provide for them food, they murmured and complained, oh, we had leeks and onions in Egypt. It was, we were living the high life as slaves in Egypt. Why can't we go back to Egypt? Same thing when they were thirsting and want. This, this first generation, their, their unbelief, their lack of faith is seen time and time again. And now they utter these words, the Lord hates us. That's the only thing we can figure out. If he has brought us to this point and we're terrified of these giants and these fortified cities, he must hate us. But listen again to verses 29 through 31. Moses said, says, then I said to you, do not be in dread or afraid of them. The Lord, your God who goes before you, he will himself fight for you just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes and in the wilderness where you have seen how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son all the way that you went until you came to this place. He says, you're saying that God hates you, but all you gotta do is look back and see his faithfulness. Not only did he deliver you out by signs and wonders from the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, he, he brought you through out of Egypt. And as, as we sang this morning, the Judoxology brought you through the Red Sea. He has been faithful to you through your wilderness wanderings. He has protected you through it. He, he in fact, Moses uses this imagery of a father carrying his son. You say he hates you but he's been tenderly caring for you all along. He has carried you through all of these trials. Yeah, they did not believe the Lord their God. As we've already discussed, they then rebelled when they heard the, the cost of their, their disobedience 
that they would have to wander in the wilderness for 40 more years until that generation had died off and they again rebelled as they went up to fight. But God was not with them. So 40 years go by and Moses' sermon continues as he retells this history and he begins in chapter two, again, for the sake of time, we can't read all of these things, but he begins by telling, telling the second generation as they're wandering through the wilderness and again, approaching the promised land, they're walking through the land that now belongs to some of their relatives, the descendants of Esau and the descendants of Lot. These are their relatives. And as they're wandering through, God tells this second generation, do not fight. Do not fight these people. Do not take their land. Why? It says, because I have given them this land. I have given them this land. In fact, I have even delivered this land into their hands by going before them and destroying those who occupied these lands before them. In chapter two, it talks about some of that, that even the giants that the people of Israel were afraid of in the promised land, he says, I even destroyed them before these near relatives. And the idea is, as they're walking through the wilderness and through these lands of their close relatives, and God says, don't do anything because I've given them these lands, the picture is that they should see if God has dealt this way with just these close relatives of, of the covenant people, how much more so will he treat us who are his covenant people? If God says that he will give us this promised land, that he will go before us and defeat our enemies, that he will destroy these, these giants in the land, and, and give into our hands these, these fortified cities. If he has already done that with people who are just loosely related to the covenant people, how much more will he do that for us? And the second generation contrasted with the first generation obey God. And they go through the land. They don't steal the produce of the land. They, they don't, they don't uh, take what's not theirs and God richly provides for them, allowing them to go through the land. Then the last half of chapter two and, and chapter three, the, the command now changes as they come to the, to the lands bordering the promised land. Now the command is given fight and take the land. And we see this in a couple stories with Sion, king of Heshbon, and Og, the king of Bashan. I love the, the names of these kings for a couple reasons. You kind of see throughout the history of the people these two kings pointed back to. That God keeps reminding them, do you, do you remember how I defeated Sion and Og, I'm still with you. 
My faithfulness hasn't changed. So as God gives them the command to fight and take this land, this second generation again obeys. And God delivers them. Even these, these giants in, in, in chapter 3, verse 11, there's this kind of note about uh, King Og's bed. He says, hey, you can still go and see this bed that belonged to Og. And what's significant about this bed? Because as they're about to go into the promised land, and they know that, the, that giants are in the promised land, God says, I've already delivered giants into your hands. Because Og's bed, is this bed described as made of iron. It measured about 13 and a half feet long and six feet wide. Og is a huge man. And yet God delivered them into their hands. And why is all this history important for the second generation to remember? Well, verse 21 of chapter 3 says, And I commanded Joshua at that time, Your eyes have seen all that the Lord your God has done to these two kings. So will the Lord do to all the kingdoms into which you are crossing. You shall not fear them, for it is the Lord your God who fights for you. This is kind of the great message of this sermon up to this point. It is the Lord your God who fights for you. The, the final part of this sermon is in, in chapter 4, and we'll, we'll look at that next week. But what God has done in this retelling of this history and showing his continued faithfulness, not only to the first generation, but to the second generation, and how he deals with his children when they rebel and when they obey, he is building this all up so that Moses can land the sermon in chapter 4, Verse 1 of chapter 4, he says, And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you, and do them, that you may live and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. Again, as we looked at the, at the law and gospel in our last mini-series, one of the things I tried to stress is this idea that God first abundantly provides for us before he commands. God gives us plenty and then gives us his commandments so that when we as his children come to him by faith, his commandments are no longer burdensome, but they're a joy, they're a delight. As we looked at it in that mini-series, it's, it's Jesus' words, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And it's getting that order right and this is what Moses is doing in the sermon to the second generation. He is saying God proves himself time and again faithful. Now, since God is always faithful, and you see how it worked for your parents' generation when they rebelled against God, and you've seen how it worked for you when you obeyed God, now, listen to his commands. God is faithful. Don't doubt him. God 
as this father who, who carries you in his arms like a little child, he cares for you. He is not trying to heap upon you a burden. He knows what is best for you. He knows what is right for you. So it's in the, this context of, of God's provision of his faithfulness that he calls us to obey. And the Lord preaches this, this same sermon to us today as we look at this and realize that this, this can't be for us, as we read in, from 1 Corinthians 10, this can't be for us just a mere history that we just look at and say, okay, yeah, that's nice. I don't really get the point. All these names that are hard to pronounce. How do you say Bashan anyways? You know, you can add that to the tomato, tomato song, right? Bashan, Bashan. Let's call the whole thing off. But God is saying, no, I want you to look at this and understand God is faithful. And we, are, we need to look at these things to understand his faithfulness to us. Because as we go through, life, to, through our lives, we see all sorts of things that we come up against that are, seem incredibly difficult for us. I want to look at just a handful of categories. Our own sin. Sometimes our sin stands up against us, and it is like a giant or a fortified city. And we think, Lord, I have wrestled with this sin over and over and over again. I can't defeat this thing. You call me to mortify my sin, to, to put it to death, but I can't. It is too, it's too strong. And God in his faithfulness and through his word and through passages like this in Deuteronomy is reminding us, you're viewing it as though it is mightier than me. I know your sin looks like that giant or that fortified city, but have you considered me? Have you considered my might? Have you considered that I am the God who fights for you. And if I have proven myself faithful time and again, not only in your life, but look back at all the pages of history that's in, our, in, the, in the word of God, he says, I have proven myself faithful to all generations. So obey. Put your, that sin to death. Deny it. I am the Lord who fights for you. And it's only when we view our sin like that that we can understand my God is stronger than this. And yes, we fail and we fall and, and God calls us to fall on our face and repent before him knowing that he is faithful and just to forgive us all our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. But he wants us to continue the fight it's a fight of faith, understanding that God is the Lord who fights for us. As Damien wrote, uh, read from Romans 8, our response is, needs to be, if God is for us, then who 
can possibly be against us? Who can stand against us? The Lord is the one who fights. In life, we might just come, might not even be a, a, a sin issue. It might just be the heartaches and the hardships of life. It'd be the loss of loved ones, the loss of our health, the loss of a job, the loss of you name it, the dreams that we have, the various things that we, that we see in life that like, this is hard. How can I possibly move on? Or we might be thinking, I don't know where my life is leading. I don't know what the next month is going to bring, let alone the next couple years. Where are you taking me, Lord? Does it always have to be so hard? And again, God is pointing us through the testimony of his word to trust him. Call out to me. I am the Lord who fights for you. I am the one who cares for you. I am the one who leads you. Just as I fought for my people in, the, in going into the promised land. Just as I provided for them as they went through the lands that belonged to their close relatives and in the wilderness. He is still the God who fights for us. He's still the God who cares for us. He's still the God who leads us. The battle in our life, in the Christian life, the life of faith is asking that question if so do we believe that to be true? Do you believe that God is the one who fights for you? Do you believe that God is the one who cares for you? Do you believe that God is the one who leads you? Or do you, like that first generation, think, okay, I'm sorry, Lord, now I'm going to take this into my own hands. I know you said you're going to stay back and then you're not with us, but I'm going to take this into my own hands and charge off into disobedience, thinking it's obedience. The whole kind of pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps image. Do we respond like that, thinking, okay, I have the power to do this on my, on my own? Or do we say, no, there is no sweeter place than God's presence, and I can't do this without him. The whole, the whole kind of story here reminds me of Moses when, he, when they were at Mount Sinai and the people rebel, and they because they're, they're, it's taking so long for Moses to come down from the mountain. So they, you know, Aaron has the whole story that he tells of throwing in the jewelry and out pops this golden calf. And they start worshiping this golden calf and God tells Moses, okay, I'm gonna destroy him. I'm gonna wipe him out. I'll start over with you. And Moses steps into the role that God wanted him to step into, this role of mediator. But Moses says, 
as God says, okay, you, you, go, you all go along, you lead the people, but I, I'm not going to go with you. And Moses pleads with him. He says, who are we if you aren't with us? Lord, if you're not with us, we are nothing. The whole thing that makes us your special covenant people is that you are with us. That needs to be our cry. As we consider the things that God commands of us to do, again, looking back on our last series and what we will always say, say from this pulpit, it's not what you do does not save you. We simply are obeying out of gratitude of what, and from what God has already done for us. But in our obedience, when we see God's commands of the things that we should do and the things that we shouldn't do, do we, are we laying them at his feet saying, of course I'd want to do these things because I, have, I don't want to do anything that's outside of your presence. I don't want to do anything that's outside of your will for me. If you trust him, you will obey him. And these things are, are written for us so that we, like this second generation, would see that God is on our side. The Lord fights for us. The Lord is, is strong in battle. We have to serve him and obey him. As we come to the communion table this morning, I feel like I end most of my sermons this way lately. But it is. It's, it's the, the fact that we are given these, these basic elements of the, the bread and the juice to point us to, to, to set our minds and our eyes on Christ. Because as we think about the promises of God, that he is the one who fights for us, he is the one who cares for us, he is the one who leads us, we don't have to look any further than Christ. He who did not spare his own son, how will he not give us all things? How will he not give us all things? If you believe that message, I encourage you to take and eat. Take of these elements. If you don't believe that message, please let them pass. These are Elements, a, a meal that we take as a, a, as a family, those who are in Christ. We are looking to Christ alone. And as we do take them, just again, consider those words that Damien read earlier. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? The answer is no one. Shall tribulation? No. Or distress? No. Or persecution? Or famine? or nakedness, or danger, or sword? No. 
are you crazy? No, possibly can't. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is what the communion table ought to be reminding us of every week as we eat the cracker and drink the juice. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing is the Lord who fights for us. He is the one who goes before us. Simply believe and trust in him. Let's pray. Father, we do, we, we worship you, we love you, we praise you that you are the God of all comfort, the God who fights for us, the God who cares for us, the God who leads us. I pray that as we, we take these elements together in a moment, that we would take them in the light of your faithfulness, that we will be reminded as we take them together that you have proven your faithfulness to us through every page of scripture and, and in the most beautiful of ways and that you, gave, you didn't even spare your own son, but you gave your son so that our sins might be forgiven, that we might be justified in your presence, reconciled to you. We may, might have salvation and that, that in this life that sometimes is so difficult, You have promised us because of what your son has done, an inheritance. Father, help us to take these things remembering your love and faithfulness for us. Father, nourish us on your son through these elements. Help us to know that it is our lives hidden away in him and nothing else is his very, the, your presence, Father, that we long for. We, when we are hidden away in him, we have nothing to fear. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.
As Paul reminds us, uh, as he reminded the Corinthians, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's do this together. In the same way, he, <clears throat> in the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, "This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes." Let's do this together.
Father, I pray that as we go our way that we would be able to echo the words of that song. You have saved, Father, and you alone. We bring nothing into this as we were we stood against you as your enemies. And yet you pulled us up and reconciled us and called us sons and daughters. Thou hast saved and thou alone. Father, help us to find great comfort in that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio presentation from Community Bible Church. For more information, please visit us at 6005 Edmondson Pike in Nashville, Tennessee, or online at cbcnashville.org.